This is the Horse Radio Network. Greetings, everyone. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily, episode 1334. In this excerpt from the Horses in the Morning show, Dr. Madison Siemens brings us up to speed on the ever-changing landscape of dewormers and internal parasites in our horses. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you, our auditors. To become an auditor, go to horsetipdaily.com and look for the official auditor banner on the homepage. So by now y'all know that Dr. Siemens made the mistake of answering a question for me on Christmas day as an emergency. And since then I've called him multiple times <laughs> to ask for help. And um, baby Zara, who's now two years old, has has had a little bit of a cough and she just hasn't been looking really good. And now that I have a barn, I was able to bring her in and she pooped. This is really gross, but she pooped. And there was like spaghetti noodle worms in her poop. Uh, and I wouldn't have seen that had I not had her in the stall to actually clean her stall. And I worm dewormed them with Symmetrin Gold like a month ago, less than a month ago, like three weeks ago. So I called Dr. Siemens. What do I do? And he's like, you know what? We're going to talk about it on the show. So good morning, Dr. Siemens. Good morning, Jamie. Uh, I've been listening on the phone here to the last few minutes of the show and, and, uh, have you reconsidered decaf, perhaps? <laughs> That's me in real life. There's just, I don't even need coffee. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. Well, we, the, the, the parasite thing is, 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 is changing and evolving like everything in veterinary medicine. And, and uh, it's, you know, if you think, if you think back about the history of, uh, of of how we've been trying to manage this stuff over the last hundred years or so, a lot of this stuff sort of came about by accident. We we invented or, or discovered the first insecticides uh, by accident uh, over a hundred years ago. Now, one of the big chemical companies back east, I can't remember if it was Dow or Dupont or who it was, was actually working on anti personnel nerve gases to use in war. And somebody noticed what? that the, the commissary, yeah, yeah. Somebody noticed that their that the the cafeteria in this plant uh, all of a sudden didn't have ants and roaches, and so they figured out right quick that it didn't take very much nerve gas to to be an insecticide. So that kind of morphed into its use in, in in the livestock industry to kill parasites of various forms, and and now we know that you know we can give a very very low dose of a very very toxic compound. And uh, and really kill a lot of bugs. Now the bad news about that is that somebody, you know, a hundred years ago, somebody gave a horse a dose of this stuff, and they saw a bunch of spaghetti in the bottom of the stall, and they sus- suspected that every horse was parasitized, and so every horse should re- should require, you know, a dose of this stuff periodically. And the old stuff was nasty. You didn't want to give it to a horse on an empty stomach. You didn't you didn't do it to pregnant mares, old horses, debilitated horses. I mean, it was nasty stuff. And it had to be given by a stomach tube. Well, fast forward to the 1970s, and they came out with the first of the paste warmers. And the first one was called Thibendazole, TBZ. And virtually overnight, everybody went from having their veterinarian stomach tube with the chlorinated hydrocarbon into their horse, and they went to the feed store, and for 8 bucks or however much it was, they bought a tube of uh, Thibendazole. 
Well, that worked pretty good for a few years, but then there became so much resistance to thiabendazole, you can't even buy that stuff anymore. I've so, never even heard of uh, it. Then we'll, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's been gone for a while uh, because there's just so much resistance. Now, when we talk about resistance, we're not talking about resistance in the horse. We're talking about resistance in the bug, much the same way that bacteria have developed resistance to antibiotics, although that is a, that's a whole other can of sort of so to speak, can of worms. Very, very complicated process. So we we don't even have the slightest inkling of why that happens, but just that it does. So fast forward, you know, back into the 2000s, probably around 2009 or 10, uh, George Watson at UC Davis did some interesting work on a naive population of horses in Northern California and found that 80% of these horses that had never been administered any kind of parasite, anti-parasite drug, we're totally clean of parasites. So now we're looking at this thing. We know there's a lot of resistance out there of the parasite population to the four drugs that are on the market. There's many brands, but only four basic drugs. And uh, and we're looking at these things because of the resistance. And you just look at your average horse, at least in some parts of the country. We're going to talk about that in a second. In the places where they don't really have much of a parasite population, we're recommending that you give them a drug that probably doesn't work for something they probably don't have. Mm. And the the logic there, the logic there, sort of evades me. <laughs> but right. there are there are there are vast regional variations. Right. Yeah. And I, so, are there less parasites in places where the the temperatures are colder? Yes. I've been I've been doing fecal uh, egg counts uh, for about ten years, and uh, in Idaho, probably ninety five percent of the horses that I test are completely clean. Really? Yes, but it gets more complicated. Okay, so the Gulf Coast states, you know, Florida, Louisiana, those places, even parts of Oklahoma, where you have a real wet environment. I mean, you're basically living in a petri dish. And so all kinds of diseases work in those in those warm, humid environments that uh, that don't live up here in the in the high desert or the high mountainous ranges because of the just because of our environment. So it's it's got to be we got to look at it as, as as some pretty wide regional variations. And our the the challenge here is that it just it just gets more complicated. And so, you know, back in the day when, oh, we just, you know, shove some paste warmer in his face every eight weeks and we switch drugs and we're laughing. Well, things have changed quite a bit. So the recommendation has been to do fecal egg counts. And so we will treat the horses that are, that are parasitized. And when I say that, it, again, it varies with the region. And so for me in Idaho, when I see a, when I do a fecal egg count and I see one or two eggs, in a in a forty power field, I consider that horse to be parasitized. Mm-hmm. I just talked to a colleague of mine down in Texas yesterday, and uh, he's seen thousands of eggs in a single field, and that's what he calls parasitized. So right. uh, you know, and we and we look at some of these control measures, and at the end of the day, we're, we're actually looking at herd health, not individual health, and and our and our fecal egg count may give us an idea of what's going on in the pasture more than it's given us an idea of what's going on in the individual horse. Okay. So it, it, so gets, that, that's, it gets that, complicated. 
That's a lot to take in. Can you uncomplicate it for us a little bit? <laughs> well, I, I wish I wish I could <laughs> because because it because we're just dealing with so many factors that we never really understood before. And now we're, you know, good, all good research asks more questions than it answers. And believe me, there's a lot of good research out there about parasitism. So I, I think, I think what we want to do is we need to approach this on a herd basis. And you can't just say, because we've got one horse that's heavily parasitized that all of them are, because there's a wide range of variation amongst individuals. But I think it's a good idea to go ahead and do some the, some standard egg counts, go ahead and just take samples from each horse, label them, and then have them tested by a laboratory. And so that will give us an idea of the of the level of parasitism. And and basically, you're only we're only looking at two different types of parasites. You're looking at strontiles, and you're looking at ascarids. Ascarids are the roundworms. That, that's the spaghetti looking stuff that you saw saw after you gave the ivermectin the other day. Whereas the the uh, the strongiles are, are much smaller worm. You'll see them occasionally, but you got to look for them. Uh, so if we can, we can just do some testing on these horses. And probably the best time to do that is going to be the spring of the year, because that's when they're going to be shedding the most eggs. And so that will give you an idea of of the peak level of of egg shedding. But having said that, that does not necessarily mean that's your only problem, because there are some parasites that stay embedded in the lining of the bowel that, uh, that, that aren't shedding a lot of eggs at, a, at any given time. So and, it's, it's going to be a, a herd type management situation. And that's what it has. I I've done the fecal egg counts in the past, obviously every spring I try to get them done. And the, 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 there's some horses that shed strongyles, uh, the, the eggs and that they can see under the microscope when you send in your fecal egg counts. And there, and so some of the horses showed strongyles, but then when I called the, the lab, they said, Oh yeah, well, you know, go ahead and deworm all of them with this other type of dewormer because they don't show the large strongyle eggs or something like that. I can't remember the exact thing, but like, yeah, I still had to deworm them. I don't get it. Yeah, there's 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 two flavors, okay. There's uh, there's the small strong small strong the, They're called cyathosomes, uh, and then there's the large strong Okay, the cyathosomes, you can't you can't tell the small from the large as far as their eggs are concerned, but the small strong those are those are the ones that get embedded, and those are the ones that won't typically shed a lot of eggs depending upon when you're looking at them. And there's there's just, it, it's not complicated enough, but there's there's another little aspect here called hypobiosis, and what that means is is that these things can go into a, a state of suspended animation in inside the wall of the of the colon and stay there for years and do nothing, absolutely nothing. So they're ju- they're just waiting for they're like Han so Solo in carbonite. It, it's precisely, precisely. <laughs> And so, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess we got, you got to back, just back up a notch or two and realize that horses have been here a long time and uh, much longer than there have been drug companies trying to sell us something to make them healthier. So, I mean, you, if you just look at your horse and he's carrying his weight okay and he's got a pretty good shine to his coat when you look at it in the sunlight, even if it's, even if you haven't bathed him and shows you on yesterday, you can look at a horse and just kind of get a, an idea that this is a pretty healthy horse. So I don't. I I think this is something that we we might worry about too much, 
uh, I think it's something we need to try to, to try to understand a little bit better and try to control. But I don't just shove one room these horses and uh, horses that are heavily parasitized, like your horse was. That that you know, you give them a wormer and then you see, you know, a bunch coming out. I think it's a good idea to go ahead and follow up on those horses. But mm-hmm. I think it's a good idea to just do fecal leg counts on every single horse every single spring, okay? And you'll get sort of an idea of where you're at. And there's there's some thought out there that some of these horses in some places that have very very low egg counts. Those horses may be harboring a minimal parasite load that's 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 healthy for them. Basically, their immune system is keeping this all in check without without a whole lot of help. And and so the concept here is is one of the animal's own immune system working to control things on his own without our help. For example, uh, we can pull blood on me right now and test it for influenza. And I probably have a reactive antibody type. That doesn't mean that I'm sick. It just means that my immune system has reacted to this virus in the environment and, and it's controlling it. And so there may well be some of these antibodies that build up inside the horse that keep some of this parasitism under control. I mean, if you if you opened up a horse and started doing cultures and, and cytologies and all of this kind of stuff of all the different bugs that we know exist, it would drive you nuts. I mean, there's so much stuff going on on the inside of the horse, and yet they tend to survive despite our best efforts to kill them with drugs, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So if we're looking at the overall thing, like, okay, so this this horse that I have that came up with the worms is a a two-year-old filly. She moved from Arizona to here. She's been regularly dewormed and vaccinated and, and had, you know, always been taken care of. Um, number one, how did she get them? And number two, how can, how can we, how can we practice good husbandry? How can we keep these horses from getting worms? Well, you can't, so don't worry about it. Okay. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's the bottom line. And again, you know, you got to remember, Okay. I mean, these guys have been around for a long time, and and they probably were created just about the same time that parasites were created, and they have lived in sort of a I wouldn't wouldn't call it symbiotic because I can't I don't know what horse is benefiting from it, but I mean they have lived they have coexisted fairly successfully over several thousand years, a million or however long they've been here. So, but I think I think it's important to understand that this is a fecal to oral transmission cycle. And so the, the larvae and the eggs get passed out in the, in the droppings, and then they can lay in the soil or, or in the, in the grow, fresh green growing grasses, which is where the small strongels come from in the spring. And so, you know, just think about hygiene, just good housekeeping, you know, keep your pens clean. And, uh, and, and even in, in larger paddocks that you can't really keep clean, if you can just drag them. You know, just break up those manure piles and expose them to the sunlight. UV is a, is a pretty good disinfectant. And oh, really? so just expose some of these things, suppose, expose some of these things to the sunlight, get them, break, get them broken up just with a drag. Uh, that'll go a long way towards doing that. So clean stalls and paddocks if you can, and then uh, go ahead and just get the horses tested. Probably in the spring is probably going to be the best time. And, uh, but I, I think, I think shotgun worming these things is, uh, is, is doing them a disservice. I, I can't, I can't say this is the reason there is so much resistance to the parasite, anti-parasite drugs, because we really don't know what causes the resistance. But I do know that there's a lot of resistance out there. 
And I do know that these things are basically neurotoxins. And so I don't know what they're doing to the horse. Probably not anything we can measure. But by the same token, I just don't think it's a good idea to be shoving something in the horse's face every every six to eight weeks just because, you know, we read it in a, in a, in a magazine someplace. So we ought to do that. Right. Just, I think we need to treat the horses, the, treat the horses that are affected. You know, and if, if a horse is ill, that's a whole different thing. Okay, if he's just really unthrifty and he's looking bad and he's got a bad hair coat, I mean, all those kinds of things, you know, I think we need to take a long look at some of these guys. And right. I think a lay count is the place to start, but there's also some blood tests that can give us an idea that this horse is systemically ill. And it may well be that the parasite is a, is a secondary problem. In other words, the horse's immune system is suppressed because there's something else going on. Older horses that have Cushing's disease, for example, okay, their immune system has been suppressed by lots of plasma cortisol. And so they're going to be the types of horses that get other things that's there, that are opportunistic invaders on top of this thing. So it's not, I wish there was just some one test or some magic wand that I could use that would, that would give me all the answers. Me too. You know, just, <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> I go. I, I just. I just go back to this thing of, of just. Just remember, the horse has been here a long time, and they're doing really, really, really well. And no matter what we do, most of them are going to live anyway. Well, you know what I heard is that Jamie brought her desert worms up to Oklahoma. Is what I uh-huh. heard. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty so, much what happened. We introduced a whole new species of worm into Oklahoma thanks to Jamie. Is what I'm hearing. Well, well, I, I, we can blame we can blame that on her. You got to remember, it's a fecal to oral transmission cycle. So they pick up the, the eggs and the larvae off the ground, and then it goes through the life cycle on, on the inside of the horse. And uh, and ascrids, the roundworms, the big old spaghetti worms, those are generally uh, young horse problems. Okay, we don't see those in, in mature horses, but uh, but you know the fact that you got rid of a bunch of them is a good indication that you're that your drug is working. So um, we're happy for that, but it's just, this is going to be just one of those other, another one of many things that we, we're not going to be able to cure quote unquote, but we can probably manage. I say mm-hmm. probably, but again, mm-hmm. this, this is on a case by case situation. I, I've seen horses in their twenties that uh, have never received a vaccine. have never received a warming preparation. never had a physical exam until they got really sick and I came out to look at them. And they did, they did really fine. We don't when recommend kid, that, people. We don't recommend that. No, 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 we don't. No, we don't. But it, it, it is it is truly amazing at how well these guys do on their own. Yeah. And, well, and so uh, they, that, that's, but, just, that's just what I, I, I can't you have to keep have to keep have to go back to that. That's what I'm talking about. Right, right. Well, the take home is clean your pastures, Glenn. Do you, you know, do some fecal egg counts in the spring, get an idea of what your horse is shedding and um, don't, don't move a desert horse to Oklahoma because then they pick up all these nasty ass worms. (laughs) I didn't bring them. They were here. Oklahoma worms. (laughs) Well, they're here. Well, they're sure here now, aren't they? Yeah, right. right. They're dropped all over the pasture. Good times. All right, thanks, Doctor Siemens. Your book is "Never Trust a Sneaky Pony" and other things they didn't teach me in vet school. Your website is cornerstoneequine.com, and that's only one e between cornerstone and equine. All that's committed to memory because that's how big a fan I am. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) you're just so you're just so good to me, Jamie. I really appreciate. (laughs) Thanks, Doctor Siemens. We'll talk to you again soon. And that's a wrap. 
This podcast was made possible through the generous support of listeners like you, our auditors. Learn how you can help support Horse Radio Network programming and qualify for auditors-only perks by going to horsetipdaily.com and clicking on the official HRN Auditor banner. This is Coach Jen, and I will be back again soon with another tip. So until then, go ride your horse. The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements made by guests on the Horse Tip Daily. Please use your own judgment when listening to the tips on this show. <laughs>